I'm Tiff. And I'm Kate. We're two quirky sisters who love all things weird. From ghost stories to strange history, random musings, and odd facts. Yeah, we're here for all that. All right, well, welcome to our very first episode. Um, woo! We're very excited to be here. Um, so just bear with us as we are working through some technical difficulties, figuring out our sound quality. But we just couldn't wait to share our very first weird stuff with you. So we are going to dive right in. So Tiffany, do you want to give your tease about what you're talking about? Yeah, so this one is actually going to be a personal one for me um, and kind of a personal one for you too. I'm going to talk about the man in the brown derby hat. Oh, mercy. Okay. (laughs) So um, I don't want to give away too much, um, but we'll just say the man in the brown derby hat is a little more popular than we thought he was. And so I want to tell people about our personal little (laughs) man in the brown derby hat. Okay, well, I'm going big for our first tea, so brace yourself. Oh, no. I am going to talk about where my two passions cross. Ooh. We're going to be talking about true crime and organ donation. Oh. So that's my tease. But I am super excited about the man in the brown derby hat, so let's start with you. Okay, but before we get too far... In case things get a little too weird, do we have a safe word today, Kate? We do. This was inspired by my recent zoo trip. Our safe word today is going to be armadillo. Armadillo. (laughs) Okay. So singular or plural? Whichever. It depends on how creeped out we get. So armadillos means that we are super super creeped creeped out. (laughs) Got it. Okay. So let let me tell you about... Um, the man in the brown derby hat, and why it's so personal to me. Um, first off, let me start by saying I thought that my story was unique. Um, whenever I was really young, we're talking like three, four years old, probably even younger than that, but super young, I started seeing a man in a brown derby hat, a long trench coat, and a nice suit. Like, he looked like he was dressed, like, maybe from the 20s, the 30s. And he had this brown derby hat on. Like, he looked like he was dressed to the nines. Like, he was going somewhere. Fancy. Right? He was super fancy. And I saw him in our house. He would walk up and down the hallway. So, we had this long hallway that stretched from the kitchen all the way back to my parents' bedroom. And in between, you had my room in my sister's room. That's me. That's you. And he would just walk up and down this hallway. Occasionally, he would stop in my doorway and just stand there and just watch. You would think I would be kind of creeped out by that, right? I wasn't. Maybe I was that weird as a child. I don't know, but it didn't scare me. I just thought it was interesting. And I guess I should go back and say, this all happened at night. I I rarely saw him during the day. It was typically at night. Um, And I just, I thought that it was unique. I thought it was me. And like, I would tell our parents, um, and I don't think that they really believed me at first. Uh, You know, they kind of just brushed it off as a kid's imagination. Uh, You know, because I did. I had a vivid imagination as a kid. I admit it. So years later, fast forward, my sister comes along. She's five and a half years younger than me. And 
she comes up to me one day and she says, hey, can I ask you a question? I'm like, oh, oh Lordy, where are you going with this? <laughs> sure, kid. She says, do you believe in ghosts? And at the time, I felt like this was a loaded question. I could tell it was a loaded question. And so Kate, I, she proceeds to tell me that she has seen a man in a brown derby hat and a long trench coat walking up and down the hallway in our house. And I was like, oh no, this is not just me. It has passed on to her as well. And so I panicked a little bit. And I know, Caitlin, your experience was slightly different than mine with the man in the brown derby hat. Because for me, he just really just stood in the doorway and just watched. You want to tell him a little bit about your experience? Yeah, I don't think mine was like super different. But it was a little more, I don't know, personal. Mm. Like I remember, aside from the shock factor, I also was not scared of him. But you wake up, you see somebody standing in your doorway. It's a little unsettling. Armadillo, it's a little unsettling. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But for me, like, he would actually come into the room. And it's not like he right. was interacting with me, but he would just be in the room. And there was one specific instance where I had a snow globe on my bookshelf. Oh. And I very specifically remember putting it to the back of the bookshelf because I was so afraid of it falling. So I pushed it all the way against the wall and I wake up in the middle of the night, I hear it scooting across the bookshelf, and off it falls into the floor. It didn't break, because we had carpet. Um, but I remember seeing the man in the brown derby hat in the room. And so I knew, for whatever reason, he decided to knock my snow globe off the bookshelf. So mine was a little more, I guess, personal. Interactive. Yeah. He was a little more interactive with you. Yeah. It's because um, I had the cool room. That's what it was. You had the cool had room the cool with room. all the stuff in it. In the snow globe. Yeah. So, yeah. So, it was interesting to me that it kind of passed on. And so, within our family, we kind of had some of our own theories um, about who he was. Um, we tossed around the idea of maybe he was a ghost that was attached to some object in our house. Because we had lots of antiques. Lots of things that had been passed down through the family. Um, and, you know, that's kind of a common theme is ghost attached to objects um we had also talked about maybe our maybe our house was built on haunted ground um like maybe it was some burial ground that we didn't know about um gosh we tossed around all kinds of different ideas i think those were the two most prevalent other than he was just a ghost right just hanging around the house so fast forward even further so i stopped seeing the man of the brown derby had about the age of 13 I did too. Yeah. Yeah, you did too. Um, and then you had Abby. Yes. My niece, your daughter. And <laughs> she had what we think was an experience with a man in the brown derby hat as well. Um, do you want to tell them about that specific oh, for sure. instance? For sure. Because it absolutely creeped me out. We were the only two. We were staying at mom and dad's house. We were the only two there. And this was actually in the middle of the day. This is the first time I've seen, or I didn't see him, but the first time that something had happened during the daytime. Mm. And we had laid down to take a nap, and she kept popping her head over my shoulder. And I was like, Abby, lay down. Abby, come on. Like, what are you doing? Nap time. Let's go. And she finally, she said, 
that man is watching us. And I said, excuse me. And I, I popped up. I searched the house thinking, you know, middle of the day, maybe somebody broke in. Oh. You know, a million things running through my mind. But I'm going to defend my child. Right. Couldn't find anything. All the doors were locked. Mm-hmm. Everybody else was gone. And so I started asking her questions. I said, well, what did he look like? And, of course, being, you know, two, three years old that she was, she said, a man. And I said, okay, <laughs> so listen. Sassy. She was, She is sassy. But she finally told me the only other things I could get out of her was that he had on a hat and a long jacket. Mm. Yeah, I definitely think that she saw the man in the brown derby hat, too. Oh, absolutely she did. Um, so, you know, I thought, okay, well, maybe this is unique to our family, you know, maybe it's just, we see them as kids. Maybe he's a a protector of the children in our family. Um, you know, to me, it felt unique. And then come college, I'm dating a guy and he comes and picks me up from the dorm. We were going to go walk across campus. It was late, you know. And the campus is very kind of wooded. It's at the foothills of the Appalachian Trail. And as we're walking, and it's an old campus too. I mean, it's been around since, mm, gosh, what, the 1855. Thank you. Totally blanked on the year there. (laughs) Kayla and I also went to the same college. So it was an old campus. The buildings were old. And as we're walking across campus, we notice that the top floor of the one of the buildings, the lights are flickering on and off through the whole floor. And then they just stop. And that kind of spurred this conversation about paranormal activity, you know. And he's like, yeah, he said, uh, whenever I was a kid, there was this ghost in our house and he wore a brown derby hat and had a long trench coat and he would just walk around the house i had not told him anything about this i ooh armadillo (laughs) armadillo armadillos (laughs) had not told him anything about this i had goosebumps and i i just i stopped walking and i said please tell me you are joking. And he looks at me with a super confused look on his face. And I was, he said, no. He's like, I saw him as a kid. And about the time I became a teenager, he's like, I didn't see him after that. And I thought, there's no way. There is no way. So then the spurn, like all these other conspiracy theories, like maybe he's a time traveler. Maybe he's a ghost that gets around. Maybe he's an angel. Like, I don't know. Maybe it's an army of them that all dress the same way. That makes sense. Right? Um, but, you know, it It was really interesting to find somebody else who was from another part of the country. Because he was originally from Virginia. We're from Kentucky. And to have the same experience in two different families, two different states totally blew my mind super weird so that kind of led me into this path of wondering okay who else has seen this man let's just say doing your research looking into this be careful be warned (laughs) because you will not sleep for a week if not longer um good bad or indifferent this guy is global not really? just in the States. 
<laughs> not just in the States, not just in the He's global. I found stories um, that were similar. They weren't all exactly the same, but it, there was a consistent theme of a man in a trench coat or a cape and some type of a hat. Sometimes it's a top wow. hat. Sometimes it's a brown derby hat. Um, but that was pretty much consistent across the board was the, the long trench coat and the hat and a man. And there's stories of this all over the globe that I found. Um, the, the biggest difference that I could find between all the stories, though, is the majority of them, the man in the hat, and he's actually called the hat man, if you're researching this, the hat man in most of these stories was not a nice dude. Oh, no. Yeah, he didn't just watch. He was a little more interactive. Um, it was often coupled with sleep paralysis. Oh, no. Where, like, you're awake, but you can't move. Oh. Like, it's almost like your body is paralyzed, but you're very aware of what's going on around you. Um, it was coupled with the sleep paralysis. Um, the, the man in the hat, the hat man would, like basically attack people or like it was just very it gave off this negative energy very different experience from ours totally different experience from ours there there were a few that were similar where it was just he was watching you know walking through the house no threat whatsoever but some of them were terrifying. In fact, there is a documentary on Netflix. No way. Oh, yes. There's a documentary on Netflix called, um, I think it's called The Hat Man. And it talks about all these different stories and stuff. And for most people, he is this dark, shadowy figure. He has no face, which that was Same. true for us, too. He had no face. Um, if... If they were able to distinguish any feature on this man, it was that he had red eyes. Ooh, armadillos. Ooh. No, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> armadillos for sure. Ooh. So, I mean, imagine, like, you're looking at your doorway and you see this outline of a man, but all you see is red glowing eyes. No, I'm out. No, I'm out. So our man did not have red glowing eyes. He, Thank goodness. His facial expression, like you couldn't really see his face, uh, but you could definitely tell what he was wearing. And I just, I, I'm so torn on this one because our experience with him was so good and so non-threatening. And then I hear these other stories where it, it is threatening and it's almost demonic and he attacks them and like sometimes he appears um sometimes he there was one instance that i saw where he shapeshift into like some type of like animal at the foot of somebody's bed mm -mm. no yeah. i turn around mm. i'm out <laughs> armadillos and and uh i i don't know i just i'm so torn because ours was so good most people's are so evil and so now there's all these theories about, you know, is he a demon? Is he just a ghost? Mm. Is he an angel? Is he a watcher? And by watcher, I mean, like, somebody, think of it like an angel who is sent to, like, protect kids or protect somebody. 
Which um, was like our main theory. Which was our main theory was that he was a watcher sent to protect us, protected all the kids in our family. That's a common theory too. I don't know that I can really land on any of them. In fact, I'm almost to the point of saying I think our man in the brown derby hat is totally different than the hat man. That's how I feel too. I I don't know. Right? <laughs> or or I thought I also went down the path of oh gosh what if it is the same what if the man in the brown derby hat is the same as the hat man but maybe there's something about certain individuals like us where he's I don't know maybe he sees us as one of them non-threatening <laughs> non-threatening I don't know like I don't know. And it just, researching into this just blew my mind because of the stark differences between the two. So choose what you will from that, whether he's good, bad, indifferent. Maybe he's not even the same guy as the hat man. Um, but for me, the man in the brown derby hat was probably my first experience with something weird, supernatural, paranormal, that stuck with me oh yeah and it kind of shaped my belief about things that happen in the paranormal world and because I mean to this day I still believe that there are ghosts that there are spirits um that weird things happen and I think that's kind of where we this podcast came from is the fact that we've had so many weird experiences and we wanted to share them yes yeah so to wrap it up Man in the brown derby hat. I thought he was personal, like a personal experience in our family. Turns out, no, this guy gets around. Um, so, I'd love to know what other people think about this. Have you seen the man in the brown derby hat? Let us know. Um, we do have an email. You can reach us at um, relatablyweirdpodcast at gmail.com. I would love to know if anybody else has seen our man in the brown derby hat. And we can, of course, put that in our bio Absolutely. description. We'll get it out there for you guys so that we can hear your all stories, too. Yep. Okay, so I think I've shared enough about the man in the brown derby <laughs> hat. Caitlin, I want to know about where your passions oh. kind of collide. Okay, so it's not actually going to surprise you. You've heard me talk about this. Oh, yeah. A lot. Um, but for those of you who don't know me, I'm just going to start out by saying I love true crime. Um, you know, all of my friends know it. If you're not my friend, it's one of the first things you're going to learn about me. And love is a very mild term in this case. Yeah, I do. I know it's weird. People Obsessed think I'm weird. Might be a better word. Ah, okay, fair. That's fair. I'll give you that one. So then my other passion is, of course, organ donation. Yep. Um my son got a transplant when he was just four months old, so I'm a huge advocate for anything organ donation, and not just organ donation, but any other kind. So, like, I'm on the bone marrow um, transplant list. Signed up, sent in my um, test kit. Um, if I ever pop up as a match, you know, I'll, I don't know, I hope one day, because that would be, that would be great. Cool. Um, so, I am into donating everything, and this is where my two passions cross and do you know what that is tiffany no kate what is it it's a 
body farm. Okay, I'm sorry. A what? I know. Okay. So when I heard this phrase, probably on one of my true crime podcasts, I was like, what? Okay, I'm immediately thinking like Soylent Green. Okay, no. that path. Not that creepy. Okay. But let me tell you. I was going to call armadillos. Like if you need to know real quick if somebody's going to be your friend, you need to talk about body farms because you're, they're either going to stick it out or they're going to run away. Okay. So you will learn very quickly who your friends are. Um, but let me just explain for anybody who doesn't know what a body farm is. Um, the simplest way to explain it, it is a research facility where they study decomposition in different environments. Oh, so that is like the most interesting. Yeah. That is the most basic description I can give you. Um, and actually, fun fact, they started right next door to us in Tennessee. What? Yes. Our neighbors started body farms, and this was back in 1987. So, Tiffany, I'm sorry to tell you. I am older than body farms. You are older than the body farm concept. <laughs> oh. Sorry to ruin your day. Not by much, though. No, not by much. So, I just want to give you a little bit of background, because I'm sure a lot of people out there are like, what the heck? Oh, for sure. What is this? So, the guy that actually started this concept, his name was William Bass. Um, He's an anthropologist, so he basically studied what makes humans human. Um, And I just want to note, like, I'm talking about him in the past tense, but he's actually still alive and kicking. And he's 92 years old. Um, And I wish I could sit down with him and pick his brain. Um, So, anyway, so... Bass became really interested in the study of decomposition. Um, when somebody once asked him if he would be able to determine the time of death for a cow. A cow? Okay. Wait, wait this didn't even start with humans? <laughs> no, it started with cows. Oh, no. Now, all of this happened while he was teaching at a university in Can- Kansas. Um, I don't know why I find that funny, but we're going to go with it. But... He thought about it for a while, and he said, you know, I probably could, but I would need to actually study a decomposing cow in a field for a while before I could determine how this works. I mean, that makes sense if you're thinking, like, scientific method. You know, you you test Mm -hmm. it, you observe, and then you learn from that. Exactly. And he said that that's what he would need to do. Now, even though this never actually happened, like, this was all hypothetical could you do this well maybe if i had this Mm. didn't actually never actually went out and studied a dead cow that i know of um it got him in that mindset of studying decomposition and the different stages and different environments and the effect that it had on decomposition however back in 1977 he got called up to come inspect a body that was found in a grave and this is this little story fascinated me so the authorities found this body in a grave and they decided we need to know how long this body's been dead because we don't know if this is a recent murder or if this body was already Mm. here we Mm. have no clue armadillo (laughs) yeah so they just have this body right and they're like we have no clue where this came from so (laughs) they first looked at the body and they thought oh This has only been dead for like a year or so. But after he examined a couple of other things and got to looking, he realized, man, we had this 
really wrong, Bass um, realized that they were so far off base. This was actually a body of a soldier from the Civil War. What? Yes, that's how far off base they were. And so this kind of led him to the creation of the research facility, which would be called the body farm. That's what people called it, the body farm. Okay. Because he realized, like, we we need to know how these different environments affect body decomposition. Because oh. think about it. If you've got a body and you're trying to find a time of death so that you can find a killer, you need to know, like, okay, a body in, you know, Alaska is not going to decompose as fast as a body in Florida. You know, these different oh, environmental factors. I, so I guess like in Alaska, because of the ice, they would probably be preserved longer because of the cold. Because, I mean, think about it. Like your morgues and stuff, they're super cold. Exactly. Versus so, like swampy Florida where, I mean, one, you could get eaten by alligators. and right. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> Mm-mm. All kinds of stuff. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I'm talking. So there's basically, he wanted to know how decomposition works. So he wanted to study it, but it also had all these benefits for forensic scientists. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like, you know, everybody wins situation. Um, so that's just kind of a very brief history. Like I, I've summarized, it's very condensed. Um, but now you kind of know how this body farm came to be. So currently... Um, There are seven facilities in the United States that study human decomposition. Wow, seven? Seven. And that's just in the United States. Um, And actually follow a TikToker who works on a body farm. Of course you do. It's fascinating. Um, But he kind of explains, you know, he shows the different areas that they put bodies and kind of explains the process, what they observe. Um, Observe? 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 Apparently we make up new words on this podcast, too. That's, that's our thing now. That's what we do. Um, so it's really fascinating to watch. His, of course, you know, you have to click, yes, I want to watch this video. Because it is very gruesome. Uh, yeah. I, I can't imagine actually working on this body farm, but I definitely want to go to one after I'm dead. <laughs> but the reason I'm so interested in this whole thing is because of how many crimes it's helped to solve. Mm. Um you know, like I said, they can narrow that time of death, which is going to help them to find the killer, solve the crime. And, you know, I've heard of stories where authorities have ruled a death an accident. But science came back and said, actually, if you look at the decomposition, this was a murder. Oh, wow. You know, they, they talk about... Um, I was trying to think of a specific example, but they said, well, this body definitely was like an accident. And they said, well, actually, if they had been in the body or in the water this long, they'd be floating. They would blah, blah, blah. So they use that to kind of, one, prove how somebody actually died, and two, how long have they been there. Oh, so it's not just about how long it's been, but they can, gotcha, they can determine how. Sometimes, yeah. Okay. Yeah, um, so it's very fascinating, um, and I love it because I've made the decision personally to have my body donated to a body farm. Like, I've let everybody know yep. there's no doubt she has my body's going to a body farm. I and will make sure it happens. What I love most about this is I can still donate my organs and go to a body farm. They just notate 
like, hey, she's she donated her kidneys. She, this body doesn't have kidneys. <laughs> this body has no heart. Because obviously you don't want a body out there with missing kidneys and then, then be like, ooh, if, if they're in this situation, their kidneys will go missing. So it's very well, it's very scientific. Right. It's very meticulous, you know, everything's noted um, before they put your body out there. Ugh. So, you know, I love a good crime story that ends with justice being served. Of um, so that's part of the reason I made that decision to donate my body. Because um, I'm not, I'm not going to use it again. Like, once I'm gone, I'm gone. Um, but I also just wanted to, this is kind of a dark topic and it's definitely weird. <laughs> so I was going to wrap up with some fun facts. Okay. About like, body farms. I like fun facts. Which it doesn't seem like those two go together, but we're going to roll with it. So in the U.S., um, they've got farms in all different environments. So you've got everything from northern Michigan down to Florida. Um, I've heard of one where you actually, they sink you in a body of water to see how you decompose in water. I don't oh. think I want to go that route. Okay. We'll, I don't know if I have a choice, but we'll, we'll see. Maybe I'll go to Tennessee. Maybe, and then you'll be close enough I could go visit you. I don't think they'll let you visit me on the body <laughs> farm. <laughs> I don't think that's how that works. Um, okay, the largest body farm is Shocker in Texas. Of course it because is. Because everything's everything. big down there. Um, and it covers 26 acres of land. What? That is a huge body farm. <laughs> 26 acres? 26 acres. It is the biggest one in the U.S., Wow. Now, I didn't look up any statistics about the rest of the world, but, you know, I was just looking at the U.S., but, That's yeah. That's a lot. That's Texas for you. Big hats, big body farms. <laughs> what they say about big hats. <laughs> big body farms. Big body farms. So, and again, I don't know why I find this amusing. The very first body farm outside of the United States was Australia. The land of all things creepy with their scary animals and... <laughs> well, I mean, I guess I could kind of see that because Australia, wasn't that where they sent, like, all the prisoners and felons? Oh, and... yeah. So, I mean, that seems like it. That is right up Australia's alley. Mm -hmm. Let's just do a body farm. We'll do a body farm. We'll just, yeah. We'll just yeah. toss all these people here. But I just, I don't know. I just found that hilarious. And to branch off of that, the lady, yes, the lady who founded the Australian Body Farm, decided to move to Canada and just start one there. Canada, eh? <laughs> That's just so random. I know. And how do you go from, like, Australia to... I mean, I guess I get the whole two different environment things, but it's just so random to me to I'm go sorry. from Australia to Canada. I don't, don't want to move from somewhere warm to someplace frigid. No. Absolutely But not. I could see it in the case of a body farm because... The different environments, maybe she wanted to see, okay, we know in Australia things are hot and there's all kind of things that can eat you, whereas Canada's kind of cold and everybody's friendly and I don't know what friendly has to do with it, but... But it's funny. Totally different environment. I just, I was super amused by that fact, but anyways. So, my last fun fact, because... I didn't know about body farms. I didn't know this was a thing. So I thought, well, this is just some random out there whatever. Fun fact, the original body farm, the one that's in Tennessee, it's still in operation today. Um, they actually receive over 100 bodies a year. 
Whoa. Yeah, so over 100 people donate their body specifically to um, the research facility in Tennessee. So you can actually go and um, you can choose which facility you go to. Um, so I probably will. So I guess you would have some of a choice, some yeah. of a choice in, in how they use your body. Yeah. But if you want, I mean, there are tons of resources out there. Um, they tell you how to sign up, how to donate. You know, it, the information is out there if you're interested. If it doesn't creep you out too much, you know. For me personally, like, being embalmed freaks me out. Oh, armadillos. I would much rather go. Armadillos. Right, I'd rather go to a body farm than be embalmed. Because I made that mistake one time at our papa's funeral. Mm-hmm. I made the mistake of reaching over and touching his arm. And that haunted me. It haunts me to this day. Oh. I was like, heck no. Just let me decompose the way God intended and just, <laughs> you know, if I can solve some true crime on the way, then cool. We're going to do that. to ashes and dust to dust. I'm, there was I'm nothing down. about embalming fluid. No, that stuff creeps me out. So body farm for me it is. Body farm for you. I will make sure that that happens if you happen to go before me. Oh, you better. You better, because I don't want to, ooh, and I don't want to be cremated. That creeps me out, oh, too. Oh, yeah, no. I definitely don't want to. In fact, I think that's a whole other episode that we could do is talk about all the weird things about cremation and some of the fun facts around that, because I have heard some things about that that just freak me out. Oh, girl. I know, I already know mm. what you're talking about, but mm. we're going to save it, we'll save it for, for another, another episode. episode. <laughs> well, I think that's all that we have for you guys today. Um, thank you for putting up with us through our first episode. Um, we are going to do some more research and come back in two weeks with some more weird things to share with you. If you have any suggestions, um, again, feel free to reach out to us, um, either on social media, um, through our email. If you have suggestions of something you say, Hey, I know this weird thing. Can you talk about this? We might, you know, get it on their show. Yeah. And we, speaking of social media, we are going to try to get, um, maybe a TikTok, Instagram, get some ways up that you guys can connect with us and we can connect with you um, because we want to hear your weird facts and your weird stories too. Absolutely. So for now, thank you for listening and we will talk to you guys later. Bye. Bye.